Father, it's a difficult book that you've laid before us, and to do this in 40 minutes, one chapter seems impossible. So, Father, give us grace, and let us be gracious to one another. Father, open our ears, and Lord, let your words speak. And Lord, that what I say, may they forget. In Yeshua's name. There you go. Woohoo. The book of Zechariah, chapter 8, contains two messages. Uh, the first one is in verses 1 to 17, which are the promises of the Lord of hosts regarding Zion. And in verses 8 to 23, he is talking about bringing us together in worship in Jerusalem. And within those two messages are ten declarations from God. It's the Decalogue. For those of you who are theologically smart, no, I'm not talking about the Ten Commandments, also called the Decalogue. But these, this is the Decalogue of blessings. So forget Exodus 20. It's, you know, you, you know what that says. This is the chapter for you. This is the Decalogue for the future. But within this, there is also an argument for us of things that we should observe and think through and how to behave. Because it's not just a message of pie in the sky about the millennial kingdom. It is also about us. And that message that he had for them, Zechariah, is also for us. So we need to understand that. Now, Ashley did a great job because he helped me already in two ways. He mentioned covenants and covenantal language. And this chapter and the whole book is steeped in covenantal language, harking back forwards and backwards to the great confidence that God made with the house of Israel, and he leans on that very strongly, so too within this chapter. So thank you, Ashley. Great. The other thing that is in this chapter is the Lord of hosts, a phrase that you'll find 20, 270 times in Scripture, and you explained hosts, so that was great. Uh, let me just recapture that. Host means? Armies. Which armies? I'm not sure you all got that right. Let me state it for you. There are three armies mentioned in Scripture. The main one, and that's the most important one, is the heavenly army, right? Second Kings, chapter 6. Uh, remember, he prayed for his servant. And what God opened his eyes, and he saw horses and chariots of fire. I've prayed that God would open my eyes and... I'm not seeing anything yet. I'm hoping. I'm waiting. Uh, you see that same host of heaven praising the Lord when Yeshua was born in Luke 2.13. The second army that God mentions is Israel. Because Israel too is a host. Because the Lord brought them out as a host. But in 1 Samuel 17, remember that David said about that Philistine? You come against the Lord with sticks and stones. No, he didn't quite say that, did he? But who did he represent? The Lord of hosts. Israel was considered a part of the Lord of hosts. He came against the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom he had defiled. And then finally, the third one, which is significant for us. In Ephesians 6, what do we battle? Principality. Yeah, exactly. So what does that mean? We too are part of that army that is fighting. 
So three armies, but in the book of Zechariah, it's the angelic host that God is saying, he's the Lord of hosts of. Just be aware of that, so I'm not trying to push you too far in another direction. The other thing that I want to mention is the word zealous. Kana and, and the various derivations of zeal, zealous, jealous, all the same word in Hebrew. This is significant because the Lord is a jealous God. Exodus 20, verse 5. Now, if, if I say I'm jealous, it means I envy. God is not envious, but he is zealous for his people. He is zealous about the promises that he's made. He's zealous about his holiness, about all the things that belong to him. Can you think of anything that doesn't belong to him? Since he's the creator of heaven and earth, there's nothing that doesn't belong to him. So he is zealous for his holiness, his name, his people, his covenantal relationship with them. And so that is that background that I want you to understand. In Isaiah 9, verse 7, it's also mentioned where it's the word zeal. For those of you who are theologically aware, you'll, you'll know what I'm saying here. And for those of you who don't, let's start with my message, will you? Ten declarations. Can you count to ten? Great, great. We had one yes. <laughs> then the word of the Lord of hosts came, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I am exceedingly jealous for Zion. Yes, with great wrath, I am jealous for her. Three times the word zealous is actually in this text, in, in these two verses. Three times he states it. We translate it exceedingly jealous, but it's with a great jealousness over and over. And so he starts off with, this is most important to me. The word is related to getting hot under the collar, we would say. But he's getting hot. He's getting emotional. And it is as if God is saying, pounding on the desk, Pay attention. We don't often think of God standing behind a pulpit, but I want you to perceive that this is very strongly emotional language that he's using. He wants your and my attention. And it makes sense because God is a jealous husband for his wife. He's jealous about the covenants that he's made. He's jealous for his holiness. So this is what he's bringing out. And what is he zealous about? Zion. Why? It's his city. The city of the great king. It is his place. He will bestow upon her righteousness. He's going to do a whole lot of things. And that's what he explains in the rest of the chapter. So all these other nine actually come under this first one. That's what I want you to perceive. For it is the Lord who chose Zion. And so he is jealous for her. Isaiah 62, 1 to 5 talks about that. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. It's actually God speaking, not us. Now, I appreciate that we say that too, that we stand with the Lord in His purposes. But it is God who's speaking. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not keep quiet. And then He goes on about the glory that He will bring to it, that my delight will be within her, her land married. The Lord will delight in her. God will rejoice over her. It is God who is speaking. And so there are many passages that I could flick to and, and cause you to see 
how significant Jerusalem is. Last time I was in Melbourne, I spoke on the names in Jerusalem. I, I listed some 20 names, and there are more. This is a city that is significant for God. And he wants us to understand that he is intensely connected to it. And this is the city that he has told the Jewish people to go to. Why? Because he's chosen Jacob. He made a covenantal bond. He married the nation of Israel. And so they are his people. Yes, God loves all people. True. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Absolutely true. But he set one nation apart. And he said, one country apart, my land. And one city apart. It's a geography of holiness. Heavens and earth. Earth. One land, one city. One mountain. And the Lord will return in verse 3. Thus says the Lord, I will return to Zion, and I will dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the city of truth, and the mountain of the Lord of hosts will be called the holy mountain. Now, if you have read the book of Zechariah before I came on, did you notice something that was slightly different in this line? It doesn't say the Lord of hosts. It just says the Lord. In every other verse in this chapter, it is the Lord of hosts who is speaking. But here, it is just the Lord. It's different. Why? Because in the book of Ezekiel, in chapter 10, verse 18, and in chapter 11, verse 23, we see that the Holy Spirit had left Jerusalem. And I think that is what he's referring to. Now, we who are on this side of Messiah's life, we understand there is an additional reason here. But from Zechariah's point of view, that is what he's referring to. We know that Yeshua came when he came in, riding us on a donkey, offering the kingdom to Israel. But they said no. And we know that Messiah said, Messiah Yeshua in Matthew 23, that he would come again. And where will he come to? Jerusalem. He will come back there. Zechariah 14, verse 4 talks about that, and I'm not going to go into that. You're welcome. <laughs> I'll keep going. No, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. But here it also reveals some of the names for Jerusalem. And that is significant for us. The city of truth. Well, if God is going to dwell there, he will cause the people to be truthful. I, I wish that there were no liars amongst our people. But when I normally talk to a Jewish person who hasn't accepted yet Yeshua and who says, I'm okay, I'm all right, I usually joke with them and I say, yeah, you might be an Amorite, but you're not okay with the Lord. <laughs> Have you ever told a lie? Sure. What does that make you? A liar. Okay. Have you ever stolen anything? Yes. What does that make you? No, a lying thief. <laughs> you see, and if we go through all of the Ten Commandments, you don't end up well with God. The city of righteousness, the city of truth, the faithful city are all names that will be applied at that time in the Messianic Kingdom, when the Kingdom will be offered to Yeshua. Yeshua. 
when he will reign as priest and king. You see, those two officers only came together briefly during the Maccabean period, and God had said, "Uh uh-uh. And now it'll come together under the rightful heir, the Prince of Peace. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts. You got to remember that the Canaanites who were dwelling in the land just prior, they too worshipped on a mountain, Mount Safon, the mountain of the north. Isaiah 14 talks about that, remember? Not a good connection. Uh, The Gentiles too worshipped on various mountains, Mount Olympus and you name them. But God is saying this will be the holy mountain. Why? Because he will be there. His presence is there. The fullness of God, not just the Holy Spirit, not just Messiah, but the fullness of God who will be there. The Lord who is there. From the book of Ezekiel 48. I love that passage. In Isaiah 2 verses 1 to 3, it also talks about that it will become the highest mountain. And that all the nations shall come to it. All the nations, not just the Jewish nation. But all the nations, Jew and Gentile together. And what will they be saying? Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And that's what we were singing about, wasn't it? For the Lord shall go forth out of Zion. Perfect timing. It'll be the holy mountain. I love that. Number three. Declaration number three. The Lord of hosts will make Jerusalem safe and secure. And the way he says that is this. Thus says the Lord of hosts, old men and old women will again sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each man with a staff in hand because of age. And the streets of the city will be filled with boys and girls playing in the street. To stress the future, he's saying there will be true peace. And old men and old women, Natty, Joan, Peter, Pat, you'll be sitting in the streets. But during the millennial kingdom, we'll live for a thousand years, so you'll be young again. And so you'll be playing with marbles and spinning tops. And I've got them with me, so if you want to practice, we can do that. A thousand years, just imagine that. And think about it. Like, if you lived at the time of Zechariah, The destruction of Jerusalem had just happened prior to that. They had just returned. And they remembered the words of Jeremiah in Lamentations. The great suffering that they had gone through. And now God has given them a promise of hope. A promise of blessing. Verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts, If it is too difficult in the sight of the remnant of this people in those days... Will it also be too difficult in my sight, declares the Lord of hosts? It's a rhetorical question. The answer is no, of course not. Why not? Nothing is too difficult for God. Uh, Genesis 18 verse 14 already stated that, uh, you know, Sarah, your barren, okay, your well past childbirth, is it too difficult? No. Nothing is too difficult. You'll find it in Jeremiah 32, verse 17 and 27. And repeated in Luke 8, 27. There are a number of other passages that talk about that. Nothing is impossible. Why not? Because it is the Lord of hosts. 
The NIV doesn't translate it as the Lord of hosts. They say the Lord Almighty. That's okay. They lean on a Greek manuscript. And it makes sense that he is the mighty one that will accomplish this. But it is because his show of strength, but he doesn't need it. He doesn't need his army. It is the Lord who will accomplish this himself. And in that sense, I like that, that connection that they're trying to make. It is the Lord who will be doing this. It's a rhetorical question. And so what obstacles do we have in our way? Are they too hard yeah, for me, for you, but for the Lord? Not so. Declaration number five, verse seven. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am going to save my people from the land of the east and from the land of the west, and I'll bring them back, and they will live in the midst of Jerusalem, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God in truth and in righteousness. And he starts off with the word hine, and he's trying to shock us. And I'm going to save my people. That's physical but also an element of spiritual, because now they come to that city of truth, and they will live in truth and peace and harmony. So there is a spiritual element here. From the land of the east and the west, from the sunrise and from the setting of the sun is really what it's saying, uh, from the ends of the earth. That's what he's saying here. Now bring them back, not just from Jordan and the Gaza Strip. This is not that literal here. And I'll bring them back to dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. Well, if you go to Jerusalem today, could all the Jewish people worldwide come back to Jerusalem and dwell there? It'd be a tight squeeze, that's for sure. No, it'll be a city without walls because the Lord will be a wall of fire around her. God will be that. And the city will be much larger. And so it'll be fine. And you can all come and visit if you're not Jewish. And if you're Jewish, you can assist me in my ministry. I'll be standing somewhere near the, I was going to say the butchery, but who knows, I might get doorkeeping duties. I'm hoping, I'm praying. They would be brought back, and this cannot be from Babylon. From Babylon, they only came back from one direction. But here they will come back. And note that they're called my people. And that's covenantal language, harking back to the Abrahamic covenant, Genesis 17, 7 to 8, or continuing the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34, or Ezekiel 37, 26 and 28. They're his people, and he's trying to draw them back into a covenant. The Abrahamic covenant had a blessing. Remember that? What was the blessing? Well, we always say it's to all nations, but we don't identify the blessing, do we? Abraham believed, and it was credited to him for righteousness. What is that? Salvation by faith through grace, isn't it? And isn't that what the new covenant is all about? That's the blessing that you and I got, whether we are Jews or Gentiles. We always were saved by faith, by faith through grace and nothing more than that. And then the relationship will be based in truth and righteousness rather than on my own efforts. Because trust me, yeah, I, I think I'm a saint. My mother thinks I'm a saint, but 
talk to my wife and you'll know I'm not. <laughs> it's just a reality, isn't it? And then there's the sixth declaration. And the sixth declaration is verses 9 to 13. Thus says the Lord of hosts, let your hands be strong, you who are listening in these days. And so he switches the message now. It's no longer about the millennial kingdom, the future that is to come, but he's saying here and now. Listen to the words of the mouth of the prophets, those who spoke in the day of the foundation of the house of the Lord. Malachi, talk, listen to Ezra and the people who were coming around him. When the house of the Lord was laid, to the end that the temple might be built. For before those days there was no wage for man or wage for animal. And for him who went out and came in, there was no peace because of the enemies. I had set all men against one another. But now I will not treat the remnant of this people in the former days, declares the Lord. For there will be peace for the seed, the vine will yield its fruit, the land will yield its produce, and the heavens will give its due. And it will cause the remnant of this people to inherit all things. It will come about that just as you were a curse amongst the nations, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you that from that which is to come. And you will become a blessing. Do not fear and let your hands be strong. They had heard the words of Haggai and Malachi. And they were worried because they were around about them. People who were opposing them. Ezra and Nehemiah talk about those oppositions that they found at that time. And they were dealing with those people. And there was internal strife and external strife. And so he says, let your hands be strong. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. And that's what we do today in the ministry, isn't it? That's what you do in your ministry. That's what we do in our ministry. We continue to go and work hard. Then there was an economic depression. There was not enough money for wages. The crops were failing. The land wasn't secure. It was in unsafe internal strife. But there was that promise based on Deuteronomy 33 that the land would receive its due from heaven. In Deuteronomy 33, we often say it's the blessing of Jacob upon the 12 tribes of Israel. But the last two verses are actually upon all Israel. And so it says this, Deuteronomy 33, 28 to 29. So Israel lived in safety. Jacob lived alone in a land of grain and wine, whose heavens dropped their dew. Happy are you, O Israel, and who is like you, a people saved by the Lord, the shield of your help, the sword of your triumph. Your enemy will come fawning to you, and you shall tread upon their backs. You see, that is covenantal language brought back in again. God remembers his covenant. And that's what Zechariah, his name, God remembers. The Lord remembers. Sachor, that's what that is all about. And he will deal graciously with the people, he says, not like the former days. And there'll be peace for the seed. That's for the children, for the offspring that is there and then. And that's what we bring, isn't it? We bring peace to the people. 
because we found the Prince of Peace, the one who gave us true shalom. Even the vine will give its fruit and the, the land will yield its increase. Harvests will be great and heaven its due. And the land then would become the land of milk and honey. I have toiled in the land, and I can tell you, uh, a lot of sweat and tears, but not sure about the honey yet, but I'm sure it's there. And it's the remnant of the people that will get this ultimately, and that's that ultimate promise that he's building back into it. And no longer will they be a byword. I'm so glad you raised that book, that Oliver Melnick book. Because anti-Semitism, from the moment the Jewish people existed, anti-Semitism was alive and well because of that spiritual battle behind it. And it morphs into various forms, anti-Judaic theology. Uh, It becomes anti-Judaism. And it becomes anti-Zionism. And now it's the BDS. And whatever you give it, it's a virus that just morphs from one form to the other. But it is the same thing. It's the new anti-Semitism. And after the BDS dies, it'll become a new something else. But it's really from the same origin in the same place. It comes from the pit of hell. God will save Israel and he will be a blessing to her. And so if we stand against the Lord of hosts, he will deal with us. Declaration number seven. For thus says the Lord of hosts, Just as I proposed to do harm to you when your fathers provoked me to wrath, says the Lord, and I have not relented, so I have again purposed in these days to do good to Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. Do not fear. These are the things which you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Judge with truth and judgment for peace in your gates. And let no one devise evil in your heart against one another. And do not love perjury. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. And it seems that the Gentiles were loving these things and they had learned them in Babylon, right? No, they hadn't learned them there. You see, the people had started to live like the Canaanites. When you read from Joshua forwards, what is it that we see? The people started to adopt the language and the the, the customs of the people. Throughout the book of Jeremiah, consistently he argues that we didn't obey Leviticus 18, Leviticus 20, the sins of the Amorites, the sins of the Canaanites, the sins of the Hittites, who he lists greatly. And he calls us back and he says, don't do that. These things I hate. And despite the fact that God says, they provoked me to wrath, he does also love them. But he's asking them and us not to do these things. Do you ever tell a little porky? Don't put your hand up, okay? But if it's not true, don't say it. Because it's not true. That's the thing. Let's, Let's be careful. Let's speak truth, no lies. If it's true and it's hurtful... Consider whether saying it. You and I both have that foot and mouth disease. And so we should try to not have that. Not many of us are lawyers, and so we might not think that perjury is something that really affects us. But it's the offense of willfully telling an untruth or willfully misrepresenting. 
you and I both have seen enough media, social media in particular, where little lies are told about other peoples that we don't like, so we just click, yes, like. No, that's wrong. Let's not tell those kind of things. 1 Corinthians 10, 32 to 33. Give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or to the church of God. Just as I try to please everyone in everything I do, not seeking my own advantage, but that as many that they might be saved. You see, if you give them offense, what are they going to do? They're not going to listen to your message. Oh, those Arabs. Uh, no. No. We were enemies of God. And he chose to reveal his son. Now that we have found him, no, he found us, we should share that message with this world that desperately needs him, whether they are Jews or Arabs. That's the point that he's making. We should not commit those sins, little porkies, little lies, you name it, all of that. Let's stay away from that. And then in verses 18 to 19, he says, I will turn your seasons of fasting into seasons of joy, sasson, gladness, simcha, into feast of cheer, moadim tovim. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, the fast of the tenth, shall become joy, gladness, cheerful feast for the house of Judah, so that they will love truth. These were all instituted by the people from the time of Jeremiah. None of these are biblically fasts or days of that. The fast of the fourth month, it was remembering that Jerusalem had been under extreme threat and when they were about to eat their children, Lamentations 2.20, Jeremiah 52, they opened the gates and the city was ransacked by Nebuchadnezzar. The fast of the, the fifth month is Tisha B'Av. You'll be well familiar with it when the temple was burned down to the ground. The fast of the seventh, it's Sum Gedalia. It's when we remember that Gedalia, the, Gedalia, how do you say it? Gedaliah, thank you. When he was killed, this is not Yom Kippur. And the fast of the tenth month, when Nebuchadnezzar besieged Jerusalem. All of this has to do with first temple period. And he's saying, these days I'm going to turn around and make them into joy, make them into simchas. Isaiah 25, 8, then the Lord will wipe away the tears of all faces. That is all peoples. Not all tears, he says there, but of all faces. Revelation 21 turns it around and it's all people and all tears will be wiped away. That's what the Lord will bring for us. In Declaration 9, verses 20 to 22, thus says the Lord of hosts, it will yet be that peoples will come. Even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one will go to another saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and seek the Lord of hosts. I also go, or I will also go. So many people and mighty nations will seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem to entreat the favor of the Lord of hosts. This is speaking about the Gentiles who are being brought in. Peoples. 
mighty nations. It's the Gentiles that would be brought in, and many of them, not a few, but many. It's exciting to have Gentiles with us. And they too will seek the Lord and entreat for his favor. They too will seek with the Jewish people the Lord of hosts. That's what this is about. We've started doing that. And Ashley referred to that. Jew and Gentile together. We've come together today. Who? Jew and Gentile. What? To worship the Lord of hosts. That's what we're about. I will also go. <laughs> I looked at that phrase and I laughed it because I looked at my commentaries and I went, okay, you say that and you say that and you say that. And there were five options. And I went, okay, eeny, meeny, my, no, no. <laughs> we don't do that, right? We look at the context and who is speaking? It is God who is speaking. God is saying, I will also go. But God is already in Jerusalem. God has given us sent the Holy Spirit to go with us, to come with us from wherever we are, whatever nation we are at, whatever city, mighty nations, not weak nations, many people, not few, to come and worship the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem. The commander of the Lord of hosts of the heavenly and the earthly armies will be worshipped by Jew and Gentile together in Jerusalem, the city of truth, the city of the great, the, the great king. And then that final statement that he makes, thus says the Lord. And again, he, he's trying to focus our attention at that point. And he brings us to this point. In those days, ten men from all the nations and languages will grab the garment of him who's a Jew, saying, let us go with you, for we've heard that God is with you. And what he's referring to is the corner of the garment. That's what he specifically says in the Hebrew, the corner of the garment. He's not talking about my kippah, that would be a sign of Jewishness, but if ten Gentiles would grab my kippah, I would be bold. And so I am glad that's not the case. But he's asking them to grab this. Now, this is not for today. As I was looking at this, I found a little video online of a pastor who had gathered a Jew from some local synagogue, and he asked him to stand in the midst of his church, and there were ten Gentiles grabbing his garment, and he's saying, we now fulfilled this prophecy. No, no, not so. You see, why do they want to grab this? That's the question, isn't it? You see, if I would ask Lawrence to come up and I would touch his shoes, would it do anything? Even his anointed t-shirt, would it do anything? What is the point of this? That's the question. Why the garment? Exodus 19, verse 6. This is the understanding that I have, and I'll share with you. It explains Israel's calling, and it says, And you shall be to me, that is God, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. They are to be a kingdom of priests. This is a sign of them ministering. Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 to 41 says, They will wear this and remember the commandments of the Lord and not prostitute after other things. You see, 
It is the time during the millennial kingdom that faithful Jews are going out to be teachers, ministers of God throughout all the world. Why? To share the good news of Messiah, that the Lord of hosts, though he was angry with our sins, has forgiven us in Messiah Yeshua, and that he's given us his spirit so that we together can worship him. Let me bring this to a conclusion. Otherwise, I'll be here for another half an hour, which I would love, but Lawrence probably wouldn't. The Lord is zealous for Zion. That's what we are naming this conference, and that's what we found in verses 1 to 2. And his zealousness is about returning to his place, Jerusalem. The Lord will return to Jerusalem and dwell there in his house. And therefore, he will make Jerusalem safe and secure. And nothing is too difficult for him because he is the Almighty, the Lord of hosts. And he will regather all the Jewish people back to the city, the city without walls, his chosen people. And he will cause them to understand him and what he's done. So he'll be their God and they shall be his people. And he will save them. And they shall be a blessing. And the Lord of hosts will purpose to do good to both Israel and the whole house of Israel, the house of Judah, turning those days that we've created from sadness into joy. And together, Jew and Gentile will come and worship the Lord there in Jerusalem. And when he does send the Jewish people out from Jerusalem, it is them it is to cause them to function in the ministry and the purpose that he had for them, to be that priestly nation, to share the good news. Do we stand with Israel? Do we proclaim that we are zealous for her like the Lord is? Do we pray for her salvation, for her safety? Do we declare that the Lord has been there and that he will come again and he's coming soon to set up his kingdom? Friends, that is our calling today, isn't it? Yeah. Selah.